0: Hello, everybody welcome back to the upside swings draft podcast the podcast with the highest ceiling and we have a very special guest here tonight um someone who is constantly wrong about sports is that right that's what you say no i'm kidding uh chucking darts (laughs) proudly wrong about sports um one of my favorite fellow podcasters has an excellent podcast. Chuck, do you want to tell the people uh, just everything about you? Let them know.
1: Thank you very much, Bryce. It is uh, an honor to, to join y'all. Thank you very much for the invitation. I, uh, not a ton to say. I'm a guy who really likes basketball and really likes the draft. I started my podcast last uh, summer during uh, quarantine and everything because there was an extra you know five months to sink myself into the 2020 draft and i thought that uh that class was getting sort of a bad rap uh, by the people who do a lot of draft coverage and i thought that was a little strange because the people who do draft coverage are really really good at it and i couldn't figure out why you know, this class was getting bagged on and referred to as the worst class in 10 years or the worst class in 20 years. So I decided to give it a shot. And I, uh, I fell in love with that class and just wanted to see, you know, try my hand at podcasting. And so here we are now.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, if you guys don't follow him on Twitter, it's just at Chucky darts, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, the the Chucking Darts um, podcast uh wherever you find your podcast one of the best listens uh in my opinion. About the draft and the NBA. And then as always we're also joined here by the one and only Stone Hansen. How you doing Stone? Uh great,
2: especially knowing uh we're joined by Chucking Darts tonight. So um should be a fun podcast looking
0: forward to it. Yeah. You got to uh, you got big shoes to fill uh, after Vrens, but uh, we believe in you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I will not be filling those shoes. If y'all haven't listened to their interview of uh, Vrenz, is it Blasenberg? Blasenberg?
0: Blasenberg.
1: Blasenberg. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, listen, to, y- y'all go back. If anyone is listening to this episode for me, I can't imagine that's the case. But if you are, go back and listen to their interview with Vrenz because I will not be a top 20 NBA <laughs> draft pick. But Vrenz very likely could.
2: To be fair, his shoes are probably like size 17. So it's tough for anybody to feel that.
1: Okay. Uh, I'll say right off the bat that Keon, um, I feel least confident about my opinion of Keon out of all of these four. And each one of these guys are very young. Um, you know, all but Franz are freshmen this year, and Keon is the oldest of those freshmen. And he like just turned 19. So with all of that said, I will say that I think I am considerably lower on Keon than either one of you guys are. Um, Because when I look at any prospect, especially a prospect that's like a guard or a wing, you know, not a big man. I, I, I look at their offensive profile first and I try to figure out as much as I can about their offense, because you know, the Mavs had the most efficient offense in NBA history last year at about 116 points per 100 possessions. And there are five teams that are better than that this year. Like the offensive curve in the NBA is just insane. And so if you are going to be any like kind of starter in the NBA, which is a lotto pick, you would hope that that player is a starter, then you're going to need to contribute to a very efficient offense. And with Keon, I struggle, like, if if his shooting comes up, then yes, you could see how that happens. But as the player he is now getting drafted into the league, I struggle to see how he gets a ton of minutes um, on the court because the player he is now, unless he really changes who he is over the summer – is a guy who not only does not shoot very well, but he does, he's not a very willing three-point shooter. And he has this like mid-range game that came along as the season went along, which is good. But that mid-range game is usually, it was kind of dribble heavy for him to get into it. He did a lot of work in the post. Um, And then because he's so athletic, he could just sort of, do a, a little up and under or just elevate over guys. And that's not a shot that he's going to get in the NBA because he's not going to get the chance to hold the ball for that long. He's going to be expected to, I think, either finish plays as a cutter or he's going to be expected to, um, you know, attack a tilted floor, as they say, and drive when someone's closing out on him or he's expected to shoot an open three. He shot, I think, one and a half threes per game, just attempted just about one and a half threes per game, which is not enough. Um, And while I think that he could do some good work as a finisher and as a driver, I just think that the spots are so competitive that he will probably end up, um, I would think he might end up doing some G League time his rookie year. Now, that's not a uh, death knell on him as a prospect by any means, but That I wanted to ask you guys how you saw him fitting in on a team where he's not going to get the usage he got at Tennessee. I mean, his usage is going to go way down because there's going to be better offensive players, you know, running whatever offense he goes to. So how do you all see him fitting in on offense?
0: So something I especially today, I just wrote a piece about the Thunder um, for Clutch Points today, and I was really I was really proud of it. I did a lot of work studying what I believe to be the future of NBA offense. Um, if you notice, like, if you look at trends uh, that have gone up, it's mainly efficiency, both in, in where shots are taken and like how good the shooters are taking them and pace. Pace has been something that has consistently gone up since uh, I want to say like the merger, like in the late 70s at the at the least um it's the highest it's been since like bill russell and wilt chamberlain where we're running a million fast breaks a game um and i think that it's going to be defined by sort of rangy wings who are really athletic and have some ball skills and can shoot uh keon right now can't really shoot though I'll, i'll get into it later i actually do buy the form a little bit i think there is some promise there Uh, He just needs to be more willing, more confident in it. Um, But he is, I mean, uber athletic. This draft is is such an outlier because it's full of these like top line athlete two guards. I mean, Keon, Jalen Green, uh, James Booknight, and before he left, even Tavion Kinsey, I would have put up here, are like just absurd, absurd athletes at the two. Um, Really interested to see where Keon's height comes in. Uh, Because if he's 6'4", I think that's quite a bit different than 6'6 for him. Sometimes two inches don't make a difference for a prospect, but I think for Keon, they really will. Um, So I'm interested to see that. His offensive fit, I think, is going to be mostly as a transition player at first. But I do think the shot has some promise. Um, His base is a little wide uh, because specifically, you can tell he takes a lot of pull-ups. Um, and not a lot of spot-ups, because he has that wide base that you have when you're trying to kind of get a lean in your shot, but he has that even when he's spotting up from three. Um, and I think it really affects his his power generation. Um, so I think if he gets with a good shooting coach, uh, it, can, it can get better. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Anthony Edwards' shot from last year. Uh, not near the volume, not near the confidence in an Anthony Edwards' has. But in terms of pure mechanics, uh, I think it's pretty similar and maybe even a little better looking than Anthony Edwards. Stone, what do you think of, of him as an offensive player and his offensive fit?
2: Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think definitely early on in his career, uh, he'll, he'll be a transition and off ball guy. Uh, he's a really good cutter, I think, too. Um, he, he's pretty smart in terms of knowing where his primary initiator on the floor is um, and being able to kind of maximize that. Um, so I think. Being an off-ball guy, just from cutting and in transition play, kind of hustle offense is, um, for lack of a better term, I guess, is going to be kind of his calling card in the beginning. Um, like with so many prospects, I feel like I say this with every other prospect, but uh, it's going to be heavily reliant upon his shooting in terms of his offensive success. Um, you touched on it where I think the mechanics are workable. Um, there's, it's not like Sharif Cooper bad or anything. Uh, so I think that it, it's manageable, um, but yeah, early on, it's definitely going to be more of just kind of a take what you can get sort of offense.
0: So Chuck, um, you recently did an episode with draft Pow, uh, who's also a great follow on Twitter um, where you guys talked about like defensive prospects, um, but they all were bigs. Uh, all the guys you talked about were, were bigs. Um, how do you value guard defense in a prospect and where do you rate Keon as a guard defender uh thank
1: you for the uh plug by the way uh, that was a very fun episode to record but i i i rate guard defense um i don't rate it as highly as I do in bigs because I think that NBA offense is of such a quality that good guard defenders get beat a lot and it is more wise for teams to try to find good offensive guards to keep their offense, you know, up and then shore up their defense by going after, you know, wings and bigs to really try to ward off the rim and, you know, suffocate drivers. But to your point, I think, um, if there's a real standout guard on defense, you need to figure out, well, is this someone who's more of an ISO guard defender? Because again, that's a great skill. Davion Mitchell's really good at it. Just an on ball past, but so Scotty Barnes and Scotty Barnes is six, nine. And so like, it's just when these guys get to the NBA, these guards who can defend other guards, um, I think it comes to the fore that the fact that they're, you know, best in position, best in their class, you know, position-wise, defending their position doesn't do them as much good and doesn't do NBA teams as much good as it might seem in college. Because in college, the guys who are running offense are guards. I mean, that is generally who offenses revolve around. And so if you see a guy like Davion erase that – player, then, you know, that wins a game. But in the NBA, the offense revolves around bigger guys. And unless you have a really, really special guard defender who can guard up and help disrupt a lot of that, um, then more often than not, I feel like you don't necessarily get the return on the investment. Now the the caveat to that um, is if obviously you have a guard who can guard up and defend multiple positions, I think Keon um, certainly has the movement skills, like y'all said. I mean, his movement skills are insane, and he's very competitive um, and a very good you know, very good contester. He gets off his feet very, very quickly. But he does not strike me right now as being overly um, strong, nor does he strike me as being overly polished. Very active, like relentless. He has the effort that you want to see. Um, but I think that in the NBA, again, NBA guards who have, you know, the best handles in the world and can get their shot off whenever and can pull all these hesitations and decelerations and really try to disrupt your timing. I think they'd be able to do that to keon Yeah. I had a, um, I had an episode where I was talking about Cam Thomas, who is in this draft and he is, not a defensive guard, but he is very much an offensive guard. And LSU played Tennessee and we'll get to, you know, Jaden Keon's teammate, but Keon checked him a few times and Cam was getting the better of him because Cam has a a deep bag, a deep ISO bag on how to get to a jumper. And he draws a lot of jump shooting fouls from everyone. And he drew two or three on Keon uh, in that game. And Keon's going to be playing guys who are, cam thomas level offense and better every night in the nba and so i with his defense it's certainly good it's a good thing to have and his athletic package you can certainly imagine a lot of development there um but i i still am more focused on offense with him i don't see a defender really in in his production or in his like frame because like you said six four is different than six six that I really could see like taking over an NBA game on defense.
0: That's fair. Um, Not to put you on the spot, but I just, I do wonder, um, who do you prefer between Keon Johnson and uh, Sharif Cooper? If you don't mind me asking, I know that seems like a weird comparison, but I think they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what you're talking about, where I think they're both very volatile prospects, like super low floors, pretty interesting, pretty high ceilings which of the two do you prefer?
1: Yeah, man, it's, I struggle with that. Um, it's a great question right now. I have them in the same tier. So it would have to, you know, when I put guys in the same tier, it means that depending on team need and Intel and all this stuff, I'm not privy to, um, mm-hmm. they could be ordered any which way. I think, I think I would prefer Keon because, uh, that athleticism is very extreme and I agree with what y'all are saying about his jumper. You know, it doesn't look broken. Sharif's jumper is in a worse, is in worse shape in my opinion than Keon's is. And if Sharif doesn't shoot, then he's just going to be a backup. Like he doesn't really have a path to being a starting guard. um, If he can't bring his shot up, Keon will stand out athletically in the league. So I would probably take him, um, but it's, I mean, it's a valid question. It's a valid mm-hmm. point, but if Keon's jumper gets to a certain threshold, then he will be an NBA starter. If he can space the floor and teams have to guard him out on the perimeter, um, then his athleticism will carry him to a lot of value, so that's where I come down on that.
0: Yeah, I think, I don't, oh, go ahead, Stone.
2: I was just gonna say, I don't, I don't really believe in, like, any freshman having a broken jumper, but Sharif is probably, like, as close to a broken jumper as he can get.
1: Yeah, it's, it's t- very, a very strange jumper because the rest of his game is so – um it's so polished and so creative and looks like it's been I, – I mean, he clearly has incredible instincts, but it looks like he has really perfected lots of craft in the rest of his game, and it's odd that the jumper – it's probably stuff that he used to – um you know, compensate for his lack of size, but it certainly is something that I think he needs to work out, but he'll, he'll probably fix it up. I mean, he has a lot of, uh, he's a talented kid. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I think I'm with both you guys um, on Keon Johnson. I think we're kind of actually coming to a consensus, at least a little bit, even though you mentioned you were probably lower. Um, it might just come down to uh difference in a value and not even an evaluation excuse me in value in how we value uh prospects a little bit I actually did move Keon down um, after watching him for this uh because I kind of noticed a lot of what Chuck is talking about um but there's also there's still a lot of intriguing things and for me the most intriguing thing is that handle uh he has a lot more shit than you expect um I think we lots of times associate um, like athleticism with raw, like I that's but I think that's slowly starting to go away. You know, Jalen Green is an example this year where his footwork is super developed, super impressive. And I would say Kayon Johnson's handle is his version of that. Um, Stone, do you want to break it down real quick? Just like what do you see in his handle? What do you like about it? <clears throat> yeah. Um,
2: so the lateral mobility, I think, like I mentioned earlier, is. For me, at least, kind of the driving force in this, uh, because his ability to change direction so quickly is pretty impressive. Um, and I think you see it, you saw it time and time again in Tennessee uh, with his in and out handle, where he's able to get past guys because of how quickly he can change direction and in, in those mobile hips. Um, I think, sort of like James Booknight, it's not quite like as advanced in terms of he doesn't have like a huge bag. I guess you can say. Uh, for lack of a better term, uh, but like Chuck and Darts mentioned, it, it's so um, he's so young still that there's plenty of time for that to develop. Uh, but I think just what he has shown his you know uh, somewhat handful of moves um, as a handle, he's really effective at what he does have. Uh, that athleticism, the the in and out dribble he has, the um, the mobility, the the hip mobility. Uh, really are the driving forces, I think, in in what is able to make him a effective enough slasher at the next level to where I can buy him being a a, a strong slasher, and whether that translates to finishing or not is sort of a different story. Uh, but being able to get to the room, I think, is definitely within his reach. Uh, yeah, I can, I can,
0: yeah, yeah no, you, go you, ahead, you,
2: go
1: uh, ahead, put it yeah, all out. No, I can give you sort of the the like the doomsday. Um, scenario on him at least from what I I was looking at and this is not obviously uh, the be all end all Keon for someone who has the promise in his handle that he has and he was given a fair amount of usage at Tennessee on the ball and he's as athletic as he is um, he at the rim shot under 60% and I think a lot of that was because they weren't getting out in transition. Like y'all mentioned, his role would be at the NBA level very much. He wasn't getting a lot of easy money. And that, that Tennessee offense was not very creative, at least not to my eye. And so th- even though he is a good cutter, and this will become easier for him at the NBA level with more space and a more sophisticated, you know, offense that doesn't ball down as much. Um, he just wasn't getting the rim attempts and in the, in the finishing attempts to really flourish. But I, he shot under 60% at the, uh, at the rim. He shot 70% from the line. He shot 27% from three. And I went and looked up um, just in terms of those rim numbers under 60 and the uh, free throw numbers. I just said under 75. And I just looked at first round guys who were drafted uh and this is off Bart Torvik in the last 13 years who had those shooting numbers and who were shorter than six seven this is even giving Keon credit he grows an inch or two whatever and the names you know there are names that are success stories um Zach Levine is a success story from this group Victor Oladipo is there are some that are you know To be determined, Nikhil Alexander, Walker, Cole, and John. Um, And it's a lot of role players. A lot of guys that didn't quite hit sort of the top 10 value that a lot of people are are saying about Keon or the lotto value. And if you incorporate his three-point shot, which I said, you know, 27%, I looked at the group here that was under 30 you know, in in this crowd, so now under 60% at the rim, under 30 from three, under 75 from the line, um, and the, this is the list of names. Victor Oladipo, obviously success story, worth a top 10 pick any year. Chris Dunn, Michael Carter-Williams, Reggie Jackson, Denzel Valentine, Corey Joseph, and uh, Tony Roten. Most of those guys have careers and that's, that's awesome. But the common thread between all of them is that that year that they submitted was not the last year before they were drafted. They all went back to school. And so that's, that is my concern with Keon. I think there's like a great conversation to be had about NBA development. Most of the time, NBA development is better than another year at school And so maybe I'm overthinking this with him, but it just it really worries me the how many minutes he's really going to be able to see his rookie year and maybe being on an NBA team and learning will be better for him and getting into the G League will be better for him. But for any team that's drafting, they need to understand that there is likely to be a development year, at least one development year with Keon. Um, And so they really have to believe that that year is going to be worth it and that there's really going to be payoff down the line. Um, And so I don't know if you all have any thoughts on that, but that's what really stuck out to me when I was sort of researching his profile.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, Fun with Bart. Um, I actually do. I am going to jump off that. Um, For me, it's way worth it for a team to take him rather than tell him to return to Tennessee, because I actually think Rick Barnes is pretty horrible at developing talent. (laughs) <laughs> um, I Tennessee like it was pretty miserable for me to watch their tape because I'm all about like fun basketball and uh, that's not Tennessee it's just like when I watched uh, USC tape for Mobley um, it's just it's not fun and he does this weird thing where every time he has his guards drive I think he tells them to turn it into a post up it's really weird did you guys like notice that I, I feel like it's like a scheme thing because Jaden Springer did not do that in high school, and neither did Keon, but they both did at Tennessee. Um, I think a name well I want to... Keon, I think, though. What was that? I was just going to say, it does work
2: well for Keon. He's He developed into mm-hmm. a, a pretty solid post player. Not that that's super important for a guard, but um, he, he did evolve into being pretty effective in that area.
0: It's a nice, it's a nice skill to have. Uh, to be fair, I, I think I think it shows some 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 promise. But a name that you pointed out that, to me, I think makes some sense. Not saying that Keon will be this guy, but you brought up Zach Levine, and Zach Levine was in a similarly bad situation for him, uh, in my opinion. Uh, that UCLA team, uh, if you look back on it, uh, was was not built uh, for him to succeed. He was coming off the bench. He was uh just, it was just a weird fit uh wasn't a great shooter I don't think Keon is Zach Levine because I just don't think he's the shooter Zach Levine is Zach Levine has a pretty perfect looking stroke and uh he's probably even a better athlete than Keon like as great as, as an athlete Keon is Zach Levine is probably a little better uh that's that's hard to quantify I mean when you're getting the athletes that good it's it's pretty hard to to tell but I I just think that he still has some promise and I would rather get him on an NBA team with an NBA staff. Fix, fix the, what I think is an easy fix in his shot. Let him get some reps at the G league. Um, You're right that it's going to have to be a multi-year development. And that's, what's tough ranking these guys is sometimes they can just go to the wrong team. Uh, If the Kings draft Keon Johnson, uh, I, I just don't like it. Like, I don't think they'll develop him into what he needs to be, but if, you know, maybe the Spurs draft Keon Johnson. Maybe that's too good of a scenario. I think, like, on well over 50% of teams, Keon Johnson can succeed. Um, But he's definitely someone who has that downside if he lands on the wrong team. Yeah, and
1: just so I'm clear, I like, he's going to go in the lottery, and he may go in the Mm -hmm. top 10, so he should go. I'm not telling you you should back to school because if you get – that draft slot and that money, you obviously should go. And that means that the team that takes you theoretically is willing to invest in you and, you know, is not going to rely on you to be some savior, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Theoretically you'd hope. Um, But I, I just, it's just that it's going to take time. And in order to get on the court, he's going to have to demonstrate that that shot is a lot better. And so hopefully he does for sure. And I agree with you on Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee did not do him any favors.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I think Rick Barnes is is probably a solid basketball coach, though I don't know. I I, I think he's a little overrated. But if you look at, his, at, at the NBA talent he produces that stays there long term, uh, I would say Grant Williams has underperformed expectations a lot of people had for him. Uh, Admiral Schofield was a weird development. That was just a weird player. Um, you know, there's some success, but I, I just I don't think he's good at developing prospects. He doesn't ever capitalize on their strengths. He has his system and the players are gonna to play to his system instead of him playing to the players' system. I think that's what separates a guy like Mark Few, um who adapted his system to play with a new team, uh, from a guy like Rick Barnes who is who's too set in his ways. Well, you don't um, you don't
1: give Coach Barnes
0: credit for Kevin Durant? It was nothing before he. <laughs> Barnes, come on <laughs> yeah 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 same way I, I give coach k so much credit for zion williamson uh-huh yeah yeah yes yeah. um yeah coach k it's an, that's another conversation for another day uh we're too small to get all that hate from duke fans so we'll just avoid <laughs> that for today uh, um are we ready to talk about Jaden springer
2: yeah we should uh hit on his teammate for sure i know it's getting late for checking darts Uh, He's so gracious to give us his time being on a different time zone, uh,
0: but we can get into his teammate for sure. Yeah. So Jaden Springer is another guy who's super volatile on boards. Um, One of the youngest American born players in the class, I believe, um, is sort of a big bodied 6'4 point guard, uh, long arms, well built. Uh, Everyone talks about how the rest of his family is all 6'7", 6'8". So they always say he maybe could grow um, uh, also kind of was not an advantageous system, but showed a lot of, a lot of flashes of talent shot 43 and percent from three uh, really, really ran pick and rolls pretty well uh, slashed at a, at a high level and, and was a pretty tenacious on ball defender. So I'm just going to throw it to you, Chuck. What do you think of, of Jaden Springer?
1: Uh, I like Jaden a lot, a lot. And I can um, much more easily, not only can I see him being a a positive NBA player much more easily than Keon, I think that he is virtually guaranteed to be a positive NBA player. Um, And frankly, I think that it is a very, very safe bet that within a year or two um, that he'll be starting on the team that takes him. And so I have him uh, in my lotto. He, he very well could end up in my top ten. He could end up in my top seven. Um, he What sticks out most about him, um, to me, is his strength as a guard. And I'm not the first person to point this out. It really shows up on tape. But being as young as he is, um, you wouldn't expect him to be such a physical force on the court, but he frequently is. And it is to his credit that he was a, a pretty well-rounded, like efficient offensive player. I mean, he finished 66% at the rim. Um, he, As you mentioned, he shot very well from three, 81% from the line. He shot decently in the mid range, all at a very young age in an offense that we all concede was not a very sophisticated offense or not an offense that was really going to enhance the talents of a lot of people there. And he doesn't, um, to me, he doesn't have a lot of advanced moves that he relied on. He just has a great first step and he just moves guys out of the way. Very effective in sort of brutally simple ways because he didn't have a very advanced, not from what I saw, very advanced dribble moves that he would string together, but he would still get to his spots and the, you know, the best that I can figure in watching him is just that he was so strong and could get balanced so easily. It was so hard to knock him off balance that um, he could still get to shots that he was comfortable taking. And he's not like a, he's not an offensive savant. Like he, he doesn't um, shoot a high volume of threes or anything like that. And he doesn't, you know, get to a step back or have all these audacious uh, offensive moves. Which is why it's even more impressive to me that he was as as effective as he was. I mean, most of those three-point makes were assisted, but he still knocked down, you know, forty-four percent of them, which is really, 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 really good. And so if you're looking at a development path for him, I think that one of the main things is gonna be him keeping his dribble alive. I thought he picked up his dribble to early a lot you know which is to the point that y'all made about you know dribbling in and then just going into a post-up he would frequently uh, you know do these sort of jump passes a little early um, maybe that's part of what he was coached to do in terms of keeping the ball moving instead of just sort of going to work on his man but in the NBA you know he's gonna they will develop good habits for him and they will see what uh, a really special athlete that he is uh, and I, you know, the we can are, we we should talk about. You, sorry, I've been going on for too long, so I'll kick it back You're to good. you guys. But I got more on Jaden. I really,
0: really like Jaden. Yeah, keep it going. You're the guest. Keep it going. Yeah, I mean, you can keep it going. I can jump in uh, real quick because I, I do want to jump off something you said. Um, you mentioned his strength, uh, and I would say, <clears throat> if not his best, that's his most interesting trait as a guard. Um, a, compar- a comparison that gets thrown a lot, around a lot this draft is uh, Jalen Suggs to Drew Holiday. Um, but I think it makes a lot more sense with Jaden Springer. Um, Jaden Springer is, in my opinion, the best uh, like one-on-one guard defender in this class. He's the one I trust most to switch up a lineup. because uh, he, he, I, I think he's a solid 6'4", maybe even six 6'5". Um, there are times, to me, he looks bigger than Keon Johnson uh and and he's built um he maneuvers around screens really well on both sides of the ball Uh, as a ball handler has a really good feel for how to use a screen how to drop a shoulder um i would agree he doesn't have a deep a deep bag of tricks right now but uh he has good like a good enough handle that i think he can develop a deeper bag of tricks i think it's better to to learn when you have something to go off of uh than to than to develop it out of thin air um But yeah, Springer is someone who I I couldn't really get a handle on and I, and I still have some issues with, but I, he definitely rose up my board after watching him for this.
2: Yeah. Um, the, the strength I think is probably like what most people gravitate towards when talking about Springer, uh, just because it is such a standout, um, I don't want to say skill, but I guess, uh, attribute of his, um, And he uses it in a really smart way. Uh, And I think for for his age, that's something that was fairly impressive to me was just how well he used his strength. Like guys that know how to use their physical abilities, whether it be length, athleticism, or strength um, at that sort of age and as to the effectiveness at which he did uh, is really impressive to me. Um, I think he is, you mentioned he was one of the youngest. I think he actually is the youngest American board prospect in this draft. Um, he, he is like really, really young. Um, his To me, he had somewhat limited burst. I know there's kind of different opinions on this. I, I didn't really see his burst as like all that impressive. Um, but he, when like, especially like in transition, his ability to change direction um, and pace, like with hesitation moves especially, um, to keep his, his defenders sort of on their toes was really impressive to me. And he's probably... I would say he's probably the best guard in this class in terms of um, being able to decelerate and stop and still be effective. Like, he would drive into the post, stop really quick, and then he can, like, make a quick pass to a a secondary cutter towards the rim um, and process all that within, like, a really short amount of time. Um, So that was really impressive to me as well. Um, Defensively, I think he can be, like, just as good of a defender as Keon Johnson. I don't know where you guys stand on that. Uh, But in terms of being a guard defender, like, just an off-ball, Keon's probably a better off-ball defender, but um, especially, like, an on-ball defender, I think they have uh, similar projections, for me at least, uh, in, in terms of effectiveness there.
1: Uh, Yeah, I actually think he's going to be a better defender than Keon Johnson. I, and that's just, I mean, I put a whole lot of stock into strength, especially strength at a young age. And I think that Jaden is a guy who will be able to guard up, maybe not up to like the NBA fours that run the league, but certainly up into bigger twos and threes. Um, I just, I think it's going to be hard to move him around. And he is very adept at block shots um as a guard which is another you know really standout indicator in college i I did another little search on him if y'all want to hear it in a second Uh, stone that point (laughs) that point you made about um his deceleration i noticed the same thing and he he is not someone who i think has like Extremely polished footwork, either. I think a very common criticism of Jaden is that he jumps off two feet, you know, over and over and over again. And most NBA athletes, you know, can jump off one foot from the guard or the wing when they're attacking the hoop. It's just like the common way to finish. And I think that's something that he's going to need to clean up. But the fact that he is still somewhat unpolished in that area and he still shows the ability to you know stop on a dime and slow down and get defenders off balance to me just means that when this kid who is still 18 when he's 24 and he's been in an nba development program for 5 years and he hasn't hit his prime yet i mean i think he is very very safe to assume that he is going to be a quality starting player um in the league
2: yeah i'm right there with you i think i moved him all the way up to like number 6 on my board I have him ahead of Kuminga even, which Bryce probably is going to get on me about later. But um, I'm I'm pretty high on what he can do at the NBA. And I'm with you where I think he's one of the safer bets probably in this
0: class. He's super comfortable operating in tight spaces. That's something I always look at with a guard, especially if they're not like elite athletes or elite shooters. Um, You kind of have to be comfortable operating in tight spaces because that's how you're going to be played. If you're an elite athlete, lots of times you'll be given some space to drive and load up. If you're an elite shooter, you know you won't be given any space, but if you can get by a guy, you'll have space. If you're kind of neither, you have to be comfortable operating in, in pretty tight spaces. And I think he does a really good job of that. Um, he gets very low with his handle. Uh, there are times where he, he hits a hezi and it looks like his knee is going to hit the ground. Um, and th- and that's, that's really good. Uh, that's a really good sign for me. Um, I don't love, love the touch around the rim. Uh, I think he has some work to do there. I still think, you know, a, a floater game, a more, a more developed floater game would do him nicely. Um, but I think he's going to end up being a very good shooter long-term. Uh, the shot looks really good. It's really consistent. Uh, which is something very different from high school. He, he clearly put some work in on that during uh, the COVID break, I think, because. In high school, he had kind of inconsistent elbows. He would kind of put the elbow out a lot. Um, sometimes his shoulders were farther back or, or hunched, and, and, he, and he didn't look comfortable shooting. Uh, he looked really comfortable as a shooter this year, even if he didn't shoot a lot. Um, and, and, I, and I trust that to develop. Uh, he could be up there with like kind of Deuce McBride. He's better than Deuce McBride, but similar in that he's sort of the perfect archetype for I want this guy to be on my team if I have a wing creator because uh, he can spot up. He can run like a secondary pick and roll or even a primary pick and roll when, when your main player's off the floor uh, and he can defend. Um, I think he can probably defend one through four, most fours when he kind of gets to his, to his, to his physical prime. Yeah. Bryce, I love that you brought that up
1: because I think, um, For any guard who is not going to be a clear lead guy that an offense revolves around, the fashionable thing uh, in draft circles is to say, oh, well, you know, he can play off of like a jumbo creator. He can play off of Ben Simmons or can play off of Luka Doncic or play off of LeBron James or Giannis. And I think what is lost in a lot of that discourse is like, yeah, you should be able to play off of those guys. Those are the best players in the world. That like the the whole point of their <laughs> games is to make your job very very easy. You know, comparatively, anyone who's in the NBA is succeeding tremendously. But the point is, they simplify the roles of the players around them. Jaden, to me, is a guy who really is a value add in that spot because he will be a standout defender, and I think that once an NBA team really teaches him to keep his dribble alive, he'll be a standout driver as well. Because to me, when his, when his dribble was live, he was frequently putting defenders in very uncomfortable positions. He was just sort of his own worst enemy because he would, he would pick that dribble up. And I think that, Bryce, your point about his touch around the rim um, sometimes came from him not putting himself in great positions to finish, you know, before he would shoot. And I think that all that stuff can be developed out, you know, of him. And so, um, yeah, that, that, that's, I, I completely agree. I think he'll play off of a lead guy because I don't think, even though he had good playmaking numbers, had a good assist percentage um, at Tennessee, I don't think that he's necessarily comfortable being a guy who shoots 20 shots a game, who's really, you know, running the show, but I think that he will be a, an asset to whatever team drafts him and will be a very safe selection.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and to your point about the shooting uh, kind of being a relative shot, Dr. Brace, how do you, um, do you have any concerns about his his mechanics? Because I, at least for me, I noticed when he, when he does shoot, he tends to like, take a really long time to load up and that's in large part due to like he starts his shooting motion like pretty much like right at his waist when he shoots um and it tends to take like a second for him to load up and actually release the shot when he does release it he has a fairly high release
0: um but but he tends to start like really low does that concern you at all um no because that's usually something that uh can be developed even if you look back at some of the, the best shooters of our time uh If you go back and watch some Clay Thompson tape in college, uh, he had that issue too. Uh, It was faster than springers. He had a a, a quicker motion, um, quicker energy transfer. Uh, But starting a shot at your hip is something I think can be developed. I think the bigger issue with this timing on his shots is just that he's not always like confident and ready to take it. Uh, He kind of hesitates, so he'll dip. Uh, You want to at least lower the dip. but I think you know the right team. Most teams in the NBA, unless you're completely dysfunctional, has a shooting coach that can, that can just kind of get that out of his game. Uh, I don't really worry about the shot. I don't think he's ever going to be like one of the best shooters in the NBA or anything. Um, but I think he could be a a uh, like a Drew Holiday or, or Patrick Beverly esque shooter where they're, they're going to hit your spot ups so that you need them to hit off better guys. And occasionally they can, they can hit a shot for himself in the mid range. He's super comfortable on turnarounds. And that's probably because of that. When you turn around, you know, you're creating that space with the lean um, so you can load it up more. Uh, but I don't think it's like a strength issue. Sometimes, you know, guys start their shot at their hips because they don't have the arm strength to get the ball there. Uh, just looking at him, that yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think that's his issue um so i uh no it doesn't it doesn't really worry me that much
1: yeah and bryce i don't know if you have any opinion on this this is just something sort of an idiosyncrasy i noticed of when he shoots and this was both on his free throws and on his jumper but he he just looks like he has so much bounce in his toes that like his shot it's it's fluid but it looks like he gets a little like he jumps higher than i expect him to given his load time because when he leaves his feet the spring you know no pun intended that he gets off his toes is like really (laughs) substantial and i don't know that that really makes a difference to his projection it was just an interesting thing that i saw
0: yeah uh uh you know, I'm, I'm not trying to self-label myself as a shooting expert. I'm just a self-taught shooter. So I spent a lot of time studying mechanics um, for myself. Uh, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, I, think, I think it's just he is kind of growing into his body a little bit. Like, and, and he's never shot the way he did at Tennessee. Like I mentioned, in high school, he not only was he not a good shooter, but he wasn't like a prolific shooter at all uh he shot way more this year than he ever has um and a lot of different contexts uh and pull-ups in off the catch uh post-ups whatever so so no it doesn't necessarily worry me uh but though it is kind of funny looking I'll say that yeah so do y'all
1: want to hear the little search I performed on on Springer absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so so that that search I did on Keon, which is largely based on his shooting numbers, you know, not being very good, there was a whole spectrum of guys. The ones that I named were, you know, the more notable NBA ones, but there are also guys who just like didn't really work out in that spectrum, and Keon will fall somewhere along there. the The one I did for Jaden was um, all players, you know, not just freshmen. Again usage of at least 5 which he had an assist percentage of at least 20 and he was at 26 i believe 20 yeah about 26 25 like or 26. That, yeah and uh, a block percentage of at least 2 because he is a, is very notable for his ability to block shots um both when he is contesting shots you know sort of jumping towards his defender And he can jump very quickly as he's retreating and still contest shots on drives, which is monstrously impressive. Some of the stuff pops out most on his tape is him, you know, ripping the ball away for steals on digs or one-on-one or executing these blocks. So you used to do 25 assist percentage of two and uh, a block percentage of two. And in the last, you know, Again, this is 13 years. This is the entire list of, of people. It was John Morant, Markel Fultz, Derek White, Clay Thompson, Jared Culver, Marcus Smart, and uh, DeAndre, DeAndre Bembry. So that's, that's the whole list. And it's a
2: pretty good if, list.
1: <laughs> if that's the spectrum that he is on, if he is just in the middle of that spectrum, you know, call the middle of that spectrum, you know, Derek white, then that's sort of, that is a very valuable player and very valuable draft pick. Now Jaden shot better than a lot of those guys. Cause I didn't filter anything for shooting and Culver doesn't do well. Marcus smart doesn't shoot. Well, you know, Jaden did, you know, even Ja had his issues as a shooter. Um, he, he, One thing about Jaden is because he's a two foot leaper, he doesn't, you know, get a lot of like, I think he only had like four dunks the whole year. And that's another thing I really like to look at as a, as a cipher for someone's MBA functional athleticism. So I don't know that he's going to end up as, you know, he's not like jaw on that list, but it just goes to show that those skills, no matter what sort of package they come in and how, a player profile might switch here or there. They will always play. You know, DeAndre Bembry is probably the player with the least amount of notoriety on that list. And he put up those numbers um, in the A-10. You know, he was at St. Joseph's. And, you know, obviously Jaden's playing in the SEC. So just another super encouraging um, search result for, you know, a guy with his profile.
0: What I find super fascinating about all those guys is that they all play such different roles for the most part. And I think that plays into something I like about Springer. Um, something I talk about a ton, I brought it up with Kai Jones, um, is like development pathways. Uh, I think we, we sometimes label guys who, who only have one role as high floor uh, because we know what that role is. Um, but I actually believe the opposite. Like I would take Springer's floor over like Corey Kispert's floor any day. Because if Corey Kispert is 10% worse of a shooter, is he even really an NBA player? Probably, but but not a starter. Springer could be a much worse shooter than we expect, but still be a good ball handler, a good defender. There's a role for that. Or if he's somehow a worse ball handler, he could he's big enough, he could play the two and be a spot up shooter and a defender and still probably attack a closeout. So I really, I really like that that is so full of different players. Um, because I think it gives, it kind of gives credence to what I really like about Springer, and that's that I think he can succeed in multiple different contexts and multiple different ways, um, and that's why I, I think a good team or a bad team could take Springer, and he'll become a good player either way.
2: Yeah, and and just to piggyback off of uh, uh, Chuck's sort of um, statistical grouping, um, I know we got to keep it going because because for time's sake but um this tweet by uh at brian j draft which if you listen to this yeah. podcast there's probably a good chance you know who he is but if you don't you should follow him he's got really good draft stuff he put in this uh this tweet that um the freshman in the ncaa uh since 2008 with a 20 percent assist rate 2 percent block rate 2 percent steal rate 40 free throw rate and 40 percent uh, from three, the only two guys that have ever done that are Jaden Spreaker and James Harden. Um, so, so to be in that sort of company, obviously, I'm not going to say that he's the next James Harden or anything. Uh, but, but in that sort of company, kind of just shows you like what he's capable of and in, in the versatility of which uh, he contributed to his team this year. Um, so I think there's reason to believe he can continue that further on at the next level
1: yeah just makes it very unlikely that he's gonna fail and so if he's not gonna fail and he's entering the league at 18 or 19 and he has this obvious physical gift of his strength and he's such a good mover then it becomes very easy to dream on um and i he will be like i don't know where he'll end up on my board just yet but i know that My board kind of opens up at pick number four, uh, personally, and he will, I like, I am considering him for as high as pick number four, Uh, just because it's, you know, I, I view a lot of those guys, you know, those big wing, you know, Barnes, Jalen Johnson, Kuminga, you know, Jalen Suggs, I think a lot of them are going to be sort of connector pieces around more talented offensive players. And I think that Springer is that that kind of a piece too and i think that his resume as a potential connector piece is really 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 good so yeah i'm big fan big big fan
2: yeah I agree there <sighs> and yeah uh, you mentioned bigger wings too um i'm not sure if you guys have any other thoughts on digging springer before we move on uh because there we do have two other um bigger wings to talk about uh but but did you guys have any other
0: thoughts on springer I'm good, man. Let's hit, let's hit Franz. I'm I'm pumped for Franz. Franz. Alrighty. So Franz Wagner, uh, Michigan star, small forward, power forward, uh, whatever you want to call him, uh, really interesting defensive prospect. Um, some would say that best off ball defender in this year's draft. Um, I might have something to say about that. Uh, 11 and a half points per game, three assists, only one turnover. Um, didn't have like a super high usage, uh, but when he did get the ball, he he looked very good. Competently ran pick and rolls uh, despite being 6'9". nine. Um, so so I'll just throw it to you guys. Uh, what do you what do you like about Franz, uh, and, and what do you think of him as a prospect?
2: Um, so for Franz, most brother, most notably, right. That's what everyone kind of knows about him. Um, <clears throat> he's a really, I would argue he is the best on ball defender in this class personally, at least on the perimeter. Um, he, he's, such, he's one of the smartest players in this class. I think just in terms of, uh, I talked about earlier, how, how guys use their length and use their strength and, um, showing the IQ on which on how they do that. Uh, for me, Franz is like the, the gold standard of this. Um, he's excellent at at knowing when and how to use his length. I think he does a great job of it to sort of compensate in ways for his lack of, um, athletic gifts. Like we mentioned with, with Keon, he's, he's obviously not nowhere near that sort of athlete. Uh, but Franz's um, length is what he uses to his advantage, uh, pretty much all the time. Um, defensively, he's, he's such a great on-ball defender. Um, he, he, he really has the potential in my eyes, one of the like probably the only guy I, in my mind, I think, to be like an actual like stopper on the perimeter, like a lockdown defender at the next level. Um, his IQ is just sort of off the charts in terms of that. Um, he's really great at, at knowing when to help uh, on off ball um, when teammates are sort of in trouble and, and, and other initiators get past their point of attack defense. Franz sort of always knows exactly when to, when to play that and when not to. Um, I think the concerns more stem from his offensive ability. Uh, if you're drafting Franz, you're not really worried about what he will bring to you defensively. Um, on offense, he obviously I mentioned sort of the lack of athleticism. I think that's uh, something that a lot of people harp on. Uh, but I think he makes up for it in a lot of good ways in terms of using that length in, in the IQ of which he does. Um, he obviously doesn't have a whole lot of burst, uh, but he uses he's really smart at using his first step with that long stride to be able to position himself to get a second step that, that sort of uh, pushes him away from his defender. Um, so he uses that first step as a way to sort of um, position himself into the second one, uh, creating space for himself since he can't do it with just pure foot speed. Um, He's also really strong, at uh, just really crafty, I think. And someone of his size, that's not something you see a whole lot of. Like, you see a lot of smaller guards that are crafty uh, because they have to be. And I think with Franz, he's crafty in another way, just because he's crafty in, in terms of having to use that length and, and getting around opponents. Uh, so that, that was what really stood out to me. Um, the shot, it's obviously not, like, great by any means, but I really buy it uh, moving forward, especially as a spot-up shooter. Um, you know, he only shot maybe like 34% from three this year, uh, but he shot really high from the free throw rate. Um, his past couple years at Michigan, I, I think both were at least like 82%. Um, so I, I buy the shot moving forward as well. Uh, I really like Franz. Um, I'm not sure what you guys have to say about him.
0: I'm going to let you get into this, but I just, I just want to set it up. Uh... This might be another classic Hendricks versus Hansen disagreement um, that we got on our hands here. So, Chuck, I'm going to throw it to you, but uh, this is this is fun.
1: Oh well, then I'm I'm throwing it right back to you. No, go go for it.
0: <laughs> I I don't buy France near as much as you on defense. I think our offensive evaluation of him is pretty much exactly the same. Uh, I buy the shot long term. Uh, super heady, super smart. He's going to make the right pass. I think he'll probably be able to run a backside pick and roll at some point in his career, a uh, solid finisher. You know, every I like him offensively, and I do like him defensively. I just – I don't think he's athletic enough to capitalize on his IQ. I think he sees the right read a lot of time, and then he's just too slow to get there, um, specifically in any sort of rim rotation. Uh, he's, he's really slow to get off the ground for rim rotations. Uh, I I think, I think he, he sort of misses, misses the mark. He can be, he can be like Euro stepped super easy. Um, guys get floaters off over him all the time. He has these super long arms, but like, I don't think he's super quick laterally. I think the, the stronger, faster wings are just going to abuse him. Even like, like a Harrison Barnes, like I would I worry about, like, a Harrison Barnes on Franz Wagner ISO. Um, maybe that's crazy, but, like, I just I, – I, he gets a ton of praise for his defense, and I think it's very similar to Denny Avdia last year where they're super smart. And, like, I want to give these guys so much credit for being smart because it, it's, it's impressive to be 6'9", to be that smart, and it gives you a floor in the NBA as at least some sort of bench role player but I, I, I really don't buy the athleticism with Franz. Yeah, that's yeah. entirely. Oh, – I'll go ahead.
1: No, I, I was just going to say, you know, Bryce, to follow up on that, how, to what do you attribute his um, block and steal numbers then? Because that is something that does stick out about him, being a wing, you know, playing frequently yeah. on the –
0: I think he's, he's still, like, super long, and he still gets to play passing lanes really well um 2.3 stocks per game for anyone interested uh played a good amount of minutes um I think like I'm not saying like he's going to be a good defender I think because he's so smart and he's so long but I think specifically on ball and if he's going to be a four I think he's going to have some issues because I think the more athletic guys in the NBA are are really going to test him and I could be wrong. If there's one thing I feel like I'm, I'm still learning how to evaluate, right. It's, it's defense and specifically defensive athleticism. Um, You know, so maybe frauds will be my, my, uh, my little Petri dish for that. But uh, I, I think his stocks are a good sign to show how smart he is, how long he is, but I I still think his athleticism on the tape uh, because I'm primarily a tape guy uh, uh, still worries me.
2: Yeah, this this whole debate sort of stems from our philosophy philosophy podcast, um, where I think you and me sort of have a disconnect in terms of how we evaluate IQ. Uh, I'm probably like one of the furthest on the spectrum, at least on Draft Twitter, in terms of how much I value IQ. Um, and, and with Franz, that's that's really evident for me. Just the IQ he possesses, defensively most notably, but also offensively um like we we touched on his craftiness um he he uses a lot of like euro steps and double hop steps both in traffic and in transition to sort of compensate for his lack of vertical and um and foot speed uh and defensively I think it comes into play just um like Chuck was mentioning those 2.3 stocks uh, if it's not attributed to his athleticism it has to be attributed to somewhere else um and for me that's just the IQ right he's he's so long that and, and he knows how to use it so well that it's really hard for me to see like there's no pathway where he isn't at least a positive defensively. Um, but I think he has there's outcomes for him to where he's like a stud defensively. Right. Um, and I don't think you can really say that for a whole lot of other players within this class. Um, so uh, the, the, the athleticism is obviously a fair point. right, But um, I, I think he makes up for it with the IQ. Uh, and, and to your point about um, like rim rotations and stuff, I don't really think like you're drafting Frond as a rim protector per se. Like you're probably just drafting him. I'm, I wouldn't say just, but like you're drafting him as a guy who can really help you anywhere like in the mid range or on the perimeter. I don't really think you're, you're drafting him as like a rim stopper or anything. Obviously that's a nice positive to have and guys that do possess that skill um, should be evaluated should be evaluated even higher. Uh, but with Franz, I don't really think that's sort of what you're trying to get from him when you do draft him.
1: Uh, yeah, and for my part, I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle between the two of you. I do see um, the sort of heaviness in his lower half that prevents him from being, you know, really explosive on either side of the ball, per se. But I also see the IQ, On both sides of the ball and he as a college player you know he's a really freshman aged guy he's the oldest out of this group but this is an exceptionally young group I mean relative to the draft class he is very young played his entire sophomore year at 19 years old and has an advanced understanding of how to make positive plays on both ends very good connecting passer I think I buy the, the shot, um, more than y'all do. I, I think that, you know, just by virtue of his size, he will find a role in the NBA where he's going to have shots that are relatively uncontested, or if they are contested, he can shoot over them. just, you know, as a spot up catch and shoot guy. Um, And he just kind of does everything pretty well. Maybe not outstanding, but he's a good shooter. I think his even though his load is a little slow because of his legs, his release is pretty quick. Um, That three point shot was coming along. It sort of fell off right towards the end after Isaiah Livers got hurt, and he was sort of thrust into a bigger role. Um, But very quick decision maker as a passer. Very comfortable. As a passer inside the arc, as well as on the perimeter, you know, in driving to the hoop, always just sort of aware of where his teammates are, which will uh, play up in the NBA, because he's going to be passing the more advanced offensive players. Uh, and I really like him as a, like, not as, a, as as an explosive finisher, but he understands the advantage that his length confers. Because frequently when he goes to the hoop, he would do these sort of swooping kind of layups where he, it was always his intention to go off of the glass, but he would get them in over contests very easily. And you can tell that he has practiced that shot and developed touch for that shot because he knows that that's his most reliable way of scoring at the rim. And he shot, I think he shot like 65, maybe 67% at the rim, like a very solid number especially for you know a 19 year old my, my my little search i did on him um i initially was like man this guy you know the block and steal numbers are there the shooting numbers are there um and i was i was wondering maybe if he was in the same league as like a mikhail bridges but um, for me, he's not no one is in a league with mikhail bridges as a prospect for what he did But still, as as a connecting player, again, that's sort of how I view a lot of guys in the lottery is just sort of solid bets to be connecting players. I think he is in that mix. I don't think he has maybe the ceiling of someone like Jaden or uh, Moses Moody. So I'll probably end up with Franz lower than those two guys. But I think another just good bet to be a, a good, solid NBA contributor on the wing. I think he's better guarding down than he is guarding up. To what y'all have been saying, um, but there's still value in that. I mean, there's lots of players smaller than six nine in the NBA, and so he can certainly be used in a variety of ways, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, I 100% agree with your your point to him guarding down. I think that's probably where he's most effective. Honestly, uh, if he can guard guards, I think, uh, especially in that avenue, he's he's a stopper, in my opinion. Like, I think it's going to be very difficult for a lot of guards. Um, to, to get around that. Uh, and I do agree that he's, he's someone who has a lot in his arsenal, sort of that Swiss Army knife, uh, offensively. But he's not really, like, great at any one thing, um, apart from you mentioned that, that one kind of signature move, um, always to his right, of course, uh, but where he gets that sort of swoop layup. Um, and he's so effective at it. Like, defenses always know that when he goes right, that's pretty much what he's going to do yet they haven't really figured out a way to stop it uh, up to this point. So um, I, I don't really see, like, that ever kind of going away. That's always going to be kind of a signature, signature move offensively, I think. Um, but, but I think he, ha- he has a lot of avenues to success. Um, obviously, the defense is probably what's going to keep him on the court for the most part. Uh, but offensively, I can see him, like, as a secondary initiator, uh, which for his size is very impressive. Um, and I think there's a lot of pathways to success for him offensively. Um, there's just not any, not any of them are going to lead to anything elite for him.
0: Yeah, I want to be clear that I still like like Franz. He's six nine, super smart and super long. I mean, that's in, in my in my book, that's a lottery prospect uh, almost no matter what. Um, I do buy the shot. I I I I don't think it's ever going to be like a pull up weapon. Um and, and you could see that you know everyone made fun of him for, for that air ball against UCLA. Um <laughs> including and, and I feel bad that's kind of how his season ended after such an incredible season to uh to 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 let it drop like that. But I think it's emblematic of his issues as a pull-up shooter in that he has a he has a pretty consistent two-motion shot. Um and usually the only guys who can pull that off uh as pull-up shooters are elite athletes. Uh, T Mac is my favorite example of like a two motion shot that kind of works out. Um, but he got like, he would get like a foot off foot and a half off the ground every single time he would jump to shoot a jump shot. So it hardly mattered that he was coming down by the time it came out of his hands. Uh, Franz isn't really like that. Um, yeah. I just, I, I think I just question his on-ball defense a little more than you guys. Um and a part of me too wonders if if perhaps is optimal not optimal but a role I would try and see if he can he can play in um, would be as like like an interesting bench like like a bench version of Jokic like a bench five where on defense you kind of bring him up to the level of the screen and on uh, uh, like every time he grabs a board he gets to kind of play some initiator. I don't know. That's kind of that was something I like wrote down. I'm like, oh, that would be fascinating, because, I mean, if I'm trying to think of like best six, eight up passers in this draft, there's too many. Uh, but you know, he's not like that far below like a Roko Pircacchin, who is uh, also probably going to be uh, like like a bench five at first, maybe, and uh, probably long term a four, but. I, I don't know. Like, I think there's stuff to like with Wagner. I just, I, I just, I, I think the athleticism is a serious, is a serious issue because, like I said, I don't really buy the pull-up shot. So I think it's going to, that hurts his ability as, a, as an initiator. And like, I don't know how much havoc he'll be able to create at an NBA level. Those extra two feet that the th- that the three-point line is pushed back make a ton of difference in terms of, how, how much ground you have to cover. Add that with the fact that a lot of guys are comfortable shooting all the way out to 30 feet. It makes, it makes a huge difference. Um, and he never really had to quite go against that at Michigan.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm actually interested to hear. Um, and if you guys have more on Franz, that, that's fair. Uh, but I'm interested to hear how you compare his athleticism to the next guy we're going to talk about, which is Moses Moody, because uh, as athletes, I don't really see them, like, as all that different. I, I would say Moody's a little bit better, uh, but I, I don't really see them, like, as as a huge gap in terms of athleticism and how that impacts their game.
1: Yeah, I – um, well, I'll, I think that the biggest difference athletically is not that I think that Moses is more – explosive than Franz but I like his uh frame more than Franz and Moses is I think he turns 19 in May or I guess so I guess this month <laughs> he turns 19 this month um played the whole year at 18 and he just has sort of he has sort of the Jason Tatumy, you know broad shoulders narrower waist um kind of frame that I would hope um, might lead him to grow an inch or two that maybe he still has some projection ahead of him, the way that Tatum did when Tatum was drafted um, because he doesn't explode off the ground or anything, but he covers ground um, when he sets up his, his offensive game, his on ball game and sets up his jumper in a way that I, I think Franz doesn't. And I think that because Franz is sort of heavy, you know, through his legs it, it leaves him a bit more ground bound. And I think that with some strength improvements, just sort of like expected strength improvements that Moses might get in the league, that he'll be able to surpass uh, what Franz is doing. Now, there's obviously other stuff to analyze in his game, but that's how I how I approximate the difference between the two athletically.
0: Yeah, I also that, think, that makes sense.
2: Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I, that's all I was saying is just yeah. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. I also think... Um, Moody didn't really know how to use his athleticism this year. He had the same problem Springer did, where every time he went to finish, he wanted to explode off two. Um, His his jab step, uh, if you really watched out the season, he really likes that catch-turn-jab. It really started to gain some power um, throughout the season. And that's kind of like a little thing I noticed, but I I think it speaks well to – he was kind of figuring out his body a little bit. Um, to be honest, Moody wasn't someone super on my radar pre-draft, so I don't necessarily know uh, how long he's been 6'6", and, and as big as he is. He 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 looks fairly strong, fairly muscular. Um, but but I'm guessing I'm guessing he's kind of newer to this body um, because to me he looked like he was still kind of figuring out how to be this height. I kind of noticed the same thing with Trey Mann. Uh, the reason Trey Mann was kind of interesting, but not really a prospect at the beginning of the season was because he didn't know how to be 6'5". He was 6'2", all the way up until randomly during COVID, he grew three inches. Um, but towards the end of the season, he started to figure out, oh, I'm 6'5". I can make these really impressive whip passes behind my head or it doesn't matter that this guy's guarding me, I have four inches on him, I can just shoot right over him. Um, so that's something I, kind of noticed with Moody was he started to realize he, he could generate a good amount of power from his legs. Um, and he started to use that a little bit.
2: Yeah. Um, with Moody, like you're mentioning, uh, with, with the two kind of two jump, um, or two footed jump, uh, it was really hard for me to watch because I feel like he was like really bad in terms of positioning himself to get shots at the rim Um, like in terms of getting to the rim, I think he's fine. Like it's not special, but I think he can get there at the next level. Uh, But once he got there, I think like he just made a lot of sort of awkward. I don't want to say shooting, but I guess just like awkward decisions in terms of how he sort of left the floor and and got his shot at the rim, um, which led to sort of like some poor finishing for him uh this year uh especially because he's like so adverse at this point to contact um so I just wanted to hear you guys' thoughts in terms of like how you project him as a finisher um and do you think a lot of that can be attributed to his kind of lack of understanding on how to use his body uh because like we mentioned with Franz, I think he's he's really good at understanding
0: how to use um his body at this point um, I would say his his finishing for me is kind of TBD. Uh, I don't ever put too much like into combine numbers, but I'd I'd be very interested to see his one foot jump at the combine. Um, I don't ever expect him to be like an elite finisher. I just don't think that's his game. Uh, you know, like his highest his highest percentile outcome is probably like a a Chris Middleton esque player, and Chris Middleton almost never gets to the rim, so that's. That's what I would say. Um, but I, I, I don't have like a super strong take either way, uh, because I definitely think he's a guy who could put on weight. Uh, and if you're a wing and you can get really strong, you don't have to have much craft or even vertical athleticism, because if you can get downhill, you'll dislodge a lot of bigs. Um, so that's how I see it. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I don't have any, you know, additional insight on it. The, th- the biggest thing that jumped out to me is what stone you mentioned about him being averse to, to contact when he tries to finish, because he is not adverse to contact in the other aspects of his game. He is unafraid to mix it up on defense or in, you know, trying to go after a rebound, anything like that. In fact, I think that he is pretty comfortable Um with contact and was the whole year again as a freshman but when he drives he frequently settles for some sort of weird looking floater like he just you can just tell it's not something that he's worked quite worked out yet as to how he wants to approach it and um I know there is precedent in the NBA for getting better you know as as a finisher but usually um It's guys who are really athletic and can get, you know, can get to the rim a lot. Like Jalen Brown improved a lot as a finisher. You know, Lou Dort is a guy who gets to the rim all the time, but can't quite finish. But you can project how he's going to get better at it, you know, the longer he spends um, in the league. With Moses, um, I, I almost think that it's going to be something that is very footwork based because I think he has a lot of promise in his footwork in getting to his jumper Um, when he's not, you know, trying to drive or anything like that, but just when he's sort of going to work in a a middle tennis way, you know, Bryce to, to piggyback on that comp. Um, it just means that he's going to have to try to acquire some of that, you know, deceleration we talked about with Jaden Springer or resort to a, to a Euro more and just get his reps up. Um, but yeah, what, what do y'all think about that?
0: So I, uh, One of the trends um, when I was doing my research for that Thunder piece uh, that I found was that finishing is something that really improves in the NBA. Um, Interesting like examples of this are like look at Miles Bridges as a finisher. Um, I don't know what it is uh, but like if there's one skill I will always bet on to improve especially if you're a wing or a forward it's your finishing. Um, I don't know why I'm fascinated to try and discover more about that but even more than shooting which which you know generally general consensus is shooting is the most teachable skill in basketball finishing is the one that improves a lot from players rookie season to their you know prime um that can be seen with anyone uber athletes bad athletes uh so so i don't know what to expect from moody uh in that sense but something I am interested to hear what you guys like kind of expect from him uh he's kind of pegged as this sort of three and D prospect which I know chucking darts uh you have a a better phrase for that that I like D and three um but he only shot 35 about 35 and a half percent 36 percent um from three this season uh, what do you guys think of him as a shooter? How do you how do you project that at the next level? Do you think he's elite, or do you think he's got some work to do?
2: Uh, I mean, so you guys both sort of mentioned Chris Middleton, um, and I, I'm not usually one for comps, but I actually really like that comp uh, in certain aspects, um, and one of those is as a shooter. Uh, I, I'm not saying he's going to be Chris Middleton as a shooter because Chris Middleton is – one of the best shooters, like of all time, statistically, uh, especially this year, he's having like an all time great shooting season. Um, But Moody, I I really like his, like we talked a a couple episodes back about Deuce McBride and his shot. Um, Aesthetically speaking, Moody has a case to be made in terms of having the most like pure, beautiful looking shot in the, in the class. Um, And I think his, his free throw percentage is somewhat representative of that, um, and I think the way in which he gets his shots off is is really impressive to me. Um, he's a really good shooter in transition. Um, he's really heavy, reliant, heavily reliant on uh, rhythmic shooting, which, like, he always seems to be in rhythm when he's shooting. Um, and I think that's sort of important in terms of projecting a guy as a shooter. Um, in transition, he's able to kind of, like, run a couple steps and then shoot the ball and it's pretty effective i don't have the numbers in front of me uh but i seem to recall that being like a really um strong portion of his shooting game um something uh i actually i watched on uh uh box and one which uh, if you don't know he, he makes great youtube scouting videos um something he mentioned was his backpedaling shooting uh where he, he sort of anticipates the shot and back pedals especially at the corners um, and, and the initiator uh, sends the ball his way and he's already prepared and ready to get the shot up um, so th- there's a lot to like for me personally about the shot um, and I, I think moving forward there's outcomes to where it can be elite uh, but at the very least I project it as being a positive in term in his game
1: yeah. I think I am there with you. Um, When I watch a shot, I like the release. Release is nice and high. And, you know, Moses on defense and in rebounding has these very strong hands. You know, it helps for him to rip the ball from ball handlers and to, you know, win 50-50 balls in traffic. And that does not always equate to good touch on your shot. And when it does, that is another just sort of mini intersection that I really like in prospects, guys who have strong hands but who can also match it with touch. What confuses me about his shot, um, and Bryce, you can speak to it, it, he looks like he is rather extremely um, turned away from the hoop to make sure that his elbow is aligned with the hoop when he releases, but you know, his hips and shoulders are sort of turned away in what looks to be a more um, drastic manner than, you know, most prospects. And I would think that that would inhibit his ability to shoot on the move, which I think for any role player is going to be a skill that um, is going to, I guess, be increasingly in demand, you know, over the course of Moses Moody's career, the next 10 years in the NBA. So do you think that the way that he sets up, you know, his body positioning on his shot needs to change or do you not see that as an inhibitor for him to, uh, you know, be really a positive shooter?
0: So this is, it might sound contradictory, but I do think it needs to change. But I also think it actually sets him up better to be a movement shooter in the future. Lots of times um, guys who do that, it's, it's sort of like, they're in a transition period with their shot. Because what happened is he was shooting with his hips square, but his elbow was way out. So a coach is going to have him sh- keep his hips the same because your hips are a lot harder to fix and, keep your, and put your elbow to the basket. Um, and then eventually you're trying to slowly move his hips in. But he, him already kind of being used to shooting at weird angles, I think could actually long-term make him more conducive to movement shooting um, Stone, you brought up uh, something I was going to bring up, which is his excellent feel for transition shooting. Um, that's something I really look at when I'm trying to project someone to be a movement shooter, which is super hard. And I mean, probably impossible if I'm being completely honest. I mean, Duncan Robinson, no one, no one could have predicted he was going to be a movement shooter. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to predict he will be that, but I do think it's a possible outcome for Moody because He's been an elite shooter. Um, I know he was an elite shooter in high school. He he had to take a ton of pull ups from what I heard about his AAU stuff, which is uh, not not my personal experience, but something I've heard. Um, and I and I think that uh, that that base is probably going to kind of fix itself um, as time goes on, because that's that's sort of the point of that. If you watch, like very few guys kind of have that that off kilter base for their whole career. It's usually something that is slowly worked out. Um, It it might, it takes longer for guys like, uh, it it just depends. Um, But I think that long-term the shot is good. To me, it looks very good. Um, The free throw numbers are good. Uh, And I think he could potentially be a movement shooter because he's already kind of comfortable in, in transition, he gets the ball off quick. Uh, just he's kind of just got to fix those hips, but that's something a good a good shooting coach is gonna is gonna get him going on. And I and I think if he's if he's on any competent roster, um, he's going to be a very good shooter at the next level with with probably some versatility on it.
2: Yeah, and um, j- just speaking on the movement shooting aspect of that, um, I, I I don't really have a say in this or not to say, but like an opinion, I guess, on this, because I don't, I haven't tracked it or anything. I'm not sure if either of you have, but it, it seems to me like there's a logical correlation between guys that are like really rhythmic as shooters, um, that would be good as movement shooters. Um, I'm not really sure like what that entails in terms of like uh, what, what the percentage of that outcome is, um, but it just seems like a logical bridge to gap there for me
0: in terms of correlating the two between rhythmic and movement shooting. There's definitely something aesthetically pleasing to like a great rhythmic shooter, right? I mean, like like Clay Thompson's my favorite shooter to watch in the NBA, but sans him, I would say like Buddy Heald is my favorite shooter to watch in the NBA, despite all his numerous other issues as a basketball player at the NBA level, um, because he's so... He's so rhythmic. Like every time he catches the ball, it's going to be the exact same way up through a shot. Um, Just an excellent, excellent shooter. Uh, I I couldn't tell you the correlation, but it's definitely one of those things. Like I, I like to see because it shows confidence. Like Moody is not Keon Johnson or even Jaden Springer or even Franz Wagner for, for that matter. He is easily the most confident shooter, the most comfortable shooter of this group. And I think, that goes a long way in projection even when percentages don't necessarily back that up
1: yeah yeah and to that point I uh re-watched his performance that he got you know criticized for when Arkansas you know, they beat Oral Roberts in the tourney in the sweet 16 but barely so and he went four for 20 in that game and some of the finishing stuff that we talked about definitely reared its head. Um, he did not finish well in that game at all. Blew, you know, two or three bunnies. But, he, you know, I was mostly encouraged watching him shoot in that game because it was just – it wasn't – I didn't think the shots that he, were ta- that he was taking were bad. I thought that he was right to keep shooting, and most of the shots were on target. They just sort of missed short or long. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, this is really hurting his draft stock you know, against this mid-major. This should really be a, a a game where no one guards him. It should be a showcase for him that he, he should really be showing out in. But going back and watching it, it just seems like it wasn't his night as far as the ball going through. I thought that his, um, his like I said, his shot selection and his execution was, was just fine. And I think that that speaks a lot to his confidence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um and we've been kind of harping on his three and D potential, uh, but I actually really like his passing um, offensively. I think he's uh, a really gifted pastor in terms of being able to like hitting cutters off movement, um, seeing guys in the corner. Uh, He's probably not going to be someone that's, you know, like anything like your primary initiator or anything. Uh, But, but once he gets sort of like in that mid range, he's good at, uh, sort of seeking guys out and, and seeing where his teammates are on the court um, and getting the ball there uh, so what do you guys think about his passing because I personally really like it
0: I think it's super underrated and it's a super underrated part of every like movement shooters game uh, if you think of the best movement shooters of kind of recent memory there's Duncan Robinson obviously uh, JJ Redick um, Clay Thompson doesn't really fit this this mold. Uh, he's not the passer those guys are. But they're all like sound passers. They make really smart decisions. They don't turn the ball over. Um, they'll find their, their roller on a pocket. Um, I, I just think like, like him being so sound as a passer also helps his, his, his potential future to be a movement shooter because your coach isn't going to want to run something knowing that the only option is this dude's going to chuck it. Or it's going to be a turnover because you can't dribble. Um, if he can find, you know, a roller, especially if he's with like a good big man who who can pass out of a short roll, who's gonna run those DHOs. Um, I, I like it. It's not like an amazing skill, but similar to like a Corey Kispert in this class, like it's something super complimentary and it raises his floor because it gives it gives him another option to be to be a piece of an offense and not a ball stopper.
1: Yeah, I, I'll i say that I didn't notice much about his passing one way or the other in the film that I watched. His assist percentage is not very good this year, but like the passing that I saw that I liked was usually him around the interior. Like you could tell that he has touch and he has awareness, but he, Arkansas probably just wanted him to shoot more than anything else. But in in going back to that Middleton mean Middleton is a guy who has gotten progressively better and more effective as a passer over the course of his career, because, you know, if you're a good NBA scorer, those windows just open up and you will have the ball in your hands. And one thing I wanted to pitch to you guys, you know, getting back to what we talked about when we started the episode about how sophisticated NBA offenses are now Um most every supporting player in the league, you know, playing around one of these super duper offensive stars and playmakers is expected to be able to shoot more or less. Um, but one thing that I'm sort of kicking around in my head is what's the value someone has, you know, on a possession to possession basis as an investment for that team's offense. So it, in other words, what, what is an NBA offense comfortable in having a prospect do you know how many different things are they comfortable having a prospect do to help maintain that really high offensive efficiency and with a guy like Moody the idea to me would be if his scoring package gets good enough then an NBA team would say all right you know a Moses Moody isolation or a Moses Moody movement three is a part of our offense that really helps us stay efficient. And so we are going to give him more and more and more reps that will allow him to round out his passing and really leverage that skill. The other side of that though, is if he is just a pretty good catch and shoot guy and a a pretty good movement shooter, but that real ISO package doesn't come along, then he probably won't get the chance to be this really well-rounded player and well-rounded passer. Um, Do y'all think that his ISO scoring is going to be good enough so that an NBA team would say, we want that to be a major part of our offense, you know, in the way that Middleton's is for the Bucs, you know, and Middleton is 6'9", Moody's 6'6". So do you think at his size that that is something that he'll be able to
0: do? So... I love that question. And I think it really gets at something um, I'm, I'm starting to really focus on, which is that skills don't exist in a vacuum. I think so often as evaluators, we're like, oh, he does this well, he does this well, he does this well. But when they don't tie together, what are they worth? Um, but to get more specific about Moody, um, I think I buy maybe like a 12 like, he could be, like, a really good, like, 12-second ISO guy, right? Like, I don't think you're going to run a play for him to be – like, the, the end goal is for him to ISO on another wing. Um, but I think you'll be comfortable with him, you know, maybe on a switch, uh, specifically if it's a shorter guy, because I think his go-to ISO move is going to be a jab-dribble-pull-up. And if you're going to do that, you want it to be on a smaller guy. So, you you know, you kind of want to find – you would run some sort of action to get him that, or you'll I think you'd be comfortable with it. Like if there's 10 seconds left on the shot clock and there are 12 seconds um and there's nothing going, uh, you'd be comfortable giving him the ball and just kind of letting him go. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I kind of just came up with that off like off the top of my head, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like he's not gonna be some like mellow ISO player, right? Where you're just gonna throw him the ball in the mid post and and let him go to work with 20 seconds on the shot clock. But I think, you know, you'll scheme some good matchups for him occasionally. He'll hit an iso shot. Um, If nothing's going on your offense, he's kind of a good fail-safe guy. That's how I view his isolation potential.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement there. Um, uh, That's a really good question, though. I think that doesn't really get brought up a whole lot, which uh, if I'm misphrasing, correct me, but I guess sort of like, how much can offense can a guy handle before they're no longer a positive for you is sort of what I'm getting from that. Um, which I think is a really good question that doesn't really get asked a whole lot. Um, and definitely something I, I think I, I'm probably going to start using in my evaluation. <laughs> I don't think I've really ever thought about that. Um, but I really like that question.
1: Yeah. The, the player I really thought of first thought about this Um in context was last year with uh, Tyrese Maxey who you know Maxey has a long career ahead of him but w- his signature shot and his signature skill are these like really funky floatery finishes in the lane and it is very stylish and very appealing and he hits them at a at a very good rate but I was a little bit lower on him. I had him about where he went. I had him, you know, right, right around 20, but there are evaluators who had him, you know, fifth or higher yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I just didn't really understand how a Tyrese Maxey floater, even a really cool inventive one was going to be the focal point of any team's offense or why that shot to end a possession, you know, would be something a team would want to see over and over and over and over again. Um, now I could still be wrong, I and mean, it could, you know, ascend yet another level. But we know that the the bar with floaters is really, really high. And so I, one of the things that I'm trying to do this year is apply that question to lots of different prospects. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I am lower on Keon than y'all are, is because I just don't know what an NBA team is going to entrust him to do on offense other than finish plays. And, you know, as a play finisher, he is still, he still needs to come up a little on that, but, but that's where it was coming from, but I, I'm sorry, y'all, this has been great, but I, I actually have to get going. Um, oh yeah. Thank you're y'all good. so much.
2: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Of I course. appreciate thank you having, taking your time to, uh, to be with us. I know it's super late for you right now, uh, but it was great talking with you
0: and hopefully we can have you on in the future.
1: Absolutely. I'd love to do it. Thank you very much. Yeah, no,
0: thank you. Have a good one. I'll plug you. Um, So this was our episode with Chucking Darts um, at Chucking Darts on Twitter and uh, Chucking Darts podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, One of the best guys uh, I've met on draft Twitter, one of the first guys I ever interacted with, um, excellent podcaster and really like inventive mind. I think that last question really showed like why I was excited to have him on because he is someone who makes me think. Uh, And that matters to me, right? Like draft evaluation is not supposed to be easy. We're projecting guys who are not going to have their values truly shown until seven years later. Um, So it's really important to kind of think about stuff like this. Uh, I think he's really ahead of the curve when it comes to thinking about the next next generation of NBA offenses. And uh, we're very happy to have him on. Uh, Make sure you follow him. Make sure you listen to his podcast. Um and then Stone, do you want to tell them where they can find you? Uh yeah, just
2: follow me at report underscore court. Uh make sure you follow Chuck and Darts at Chucking Darts.
0: Uh and thanks for listening. Yeah, and I was uh at, I'm at Bryce Hendrick14 on Twitter. Um all my work is on uh roll call sports online and uh we hope this podcast hits ceiling. Thank you. <laughs> you know you know my you